Welcome to the Free Birth Podcast, a supportive space for people who are learning, exploring, and celebrating their autonomous choices in childbirth. Together, we'll unpack truths, share personal stories, and claim our ability to birth freely and intuitively. Here's your host, Emily Saldea. Hey everyone, a quick note here. If you're enjoying the podcast and want to support it, you can go over to patreon.com slash freebirthpodcast and contribute. There's $1 a month pledges, $5, and so on. Your support is appreciated. Thank you. Today on the show, we have Anna, who birthed her baby in Florida. Anna knew years prior to meeting her partner that she was destined to free birth her child. After consciously conceiving her baby, she navigated a rough pregnancy, but never wavered in the knowledge that an unassisted pregnancy and birth was what was right for her. She went into labor in her 36th week, what the medical model would call premature labor, and had a quick and beautiful birth, resulting in a healthy baby that breastfed easily. Set set the scene. You were in Florida. Yeah, well, you know, the story really starts before that because it starts even before I met Austin and um, we got pregnant uh, three years into our relationship. So about five or six years ago, I heard about unassisted childbirth and I had heard of it not really as like a technical term that was like a legitimate option. It was just a raw food couple that I followed on YouTube lived in uh, Ecuador and they had their daughter completely unassisted, you know, in the tub, in the water and had the Lotus birth and, you know, just did everything that it, it clicked for me. Like, so this was like when I was single, like not even thinking about having a family or if I would have a family, it was like, if I do have a child, this is how it's going to happen. So then fast forward, I met Austin, I met him and I was like, Oh, he's my dream guy. I'm definitely going to have a baby with this guy eventually. <laughs> a few years later, we end up in Florida and, uh, being in Florida for a couple of years, we were talking about, what it would look like and feel like to have a child and our parenting styles and, you know, just, and then I don't remember exactly. I feel like it was a friend of ours had got pregnant and that's when we were like, okay, let's do it. Like it's a good age and we're in pretty much a stable situation. You know, we had the farm in Florida. So that was like part of our lifestyle. We're like, Oh, we live in a tiny house. Like we totally want this to be the way we raise our child. Like everything that people say you can't do, it costs money to have a kid. And we're like, not really. Like we're living on a farm growing food, like, and we just have a bed to sleep in. Like what more could you need? Right. So, um, so yeah. And then we tried getting pregnant and that was a conscious effort. So before we decided to have a kid, we were using protection. And I knew that when I, I knew that I didn't want to accidentally get pregnant. Like I've always known that in my young adult life, like I wanted it to be a conscious decision. So I had researched about, um, I read, uh, Janine Parvati Baker's book, Conscious Conception. And I had known other women that, you know, talk about conscious conception. So I was like, okay. And then I just, I read a book about, I think it was Deepak Chopra's book about pregnancy and, and parenting. And he gives you guides to like, um, how to envision your chakras and, and, and the, the golden light that goes through your chakras when you're intimate with your partner and how you call in your spirit child. And, 
Um, so that really resonated with us. And within a month of trying, we got pregnant. And so, uh, we didn't go to the doctor and <laughs> we didn't feel like we needed to double check or anything. So how, how was it with your partner around your choices of coming into the relationship, knowing that you wanted an unassisted pregnancy and birth? Was he immediately like, heck yeah. Or was yeah. there some, okay. Yeah. So he, he was funny. We joke because he is afraid of hospitals. So we joke that that's the reason he was okay with it, but he, uh, he really felt like, yeah, that makes sense to me. Like I totally trust you and your body. And, um, he just was totally along for the ride. Like awesome. he, and I know how brave that is because I talked to so many couples that the, the woman, you know, says, I've heard this so many times, I would love to have a free birth and assisted birth. My partner cannot have it. Like even the most, you know, conscious couples, the man can't handle blood or, I mean, that's totally understandable, but, um, I was super blessed because, well, there's he no, and that, like, the blood thing's funny because there's blood no matter what, I know. even in a C-section, blood. you know, like there's, yeah. <laughs> it is a bloody affair. There's no getting exactly. out of that. But I've always thought that was funny with the aversion to blood or, or like, cause it's usually paired with needles and, you know, kind of yeah. like medical stuff. So actually an unassisted birth makes, makes way more sense yeah. than going into a hospital where you're going to get an epidural and you're going to get, you know, all the like needles and all like having to look at the hep lock on the arm and, yeah. but yes, it is so common and it's, you know, it's, it's really triggering for me, but I try to, I try to have compassion for it because it's so common, but men are really brainwashed, you know, and it, it's something I think about a lot because men only recently in what the, our parents' generation, were they invited into the birthing room? You know, like this yeah. is, we're like the pendulum swung way to one side. And so mm-hmm. we're, we're starting to involve men, you know, mm-hmm. in a way that they haven't really been. That's so important too. And I wish I remembered the exact quote, but, um, I read somewhere about how just the, about the importance of, of the husband seeing their child born, like the bond in the long run of their relationship. When a man sees his woman give birth to a child, like it just connects them more deeply and they, you know, just feel, maybe feel differently about, you know, their role as the father. So Absolutely. that feel, was really feel so included. Yeah. So that was really important to me for him to be a part of it all. And I didn't expect anything of it. Like when, it, when him and I would talk about the birthing process, we'd watch, um, home birth videos together and he would get emotional. Like he totally was in that role of like, I'm going to be there to support you. And I told him like, you don't even have to do anything really. Like nobody can do anything. The baby's just going to be born. All you have to do is help set up the pool and get me water and encourage me when, you know, I'm getting down about myself. So, and he did all that perfectly. (laughs) Was it just the two of you at the birth? It was, but technically we were on my father-in-law's property. And so he was like in his house on the other side of the property, knowing I was in labor, Mm -hmm. but nobody else was present. Um, my girlfriend, my best friend was supposed to be there to be the photographer because she's a photographer. And then since Lotus was born early, my girlfriend didn't get there in Mm. time. So it was meant to be that way. Yeah. Baby had other plans. Yeah. (laughs) Totally. Okay. So then what was your pregnancy like? Did you ever see anybody? Did you just, what did you do? No, it just didn't resonate with me. I had no desire for a midwife. Um, nothing against midwives. I think that's an excellent option. My mom really tried to push me to get a midwife. Um, I, you know, even if I wanted a midwife, I technically couldn't have afforded one. Um, so that my mom offered to pay for it, you know, did all that to try to give me that option. I told her, even if I have that option, 
to afford a midwife. I don't think I want one. Just it doesn't resonate with me. And the the unassisted birth with the unassisted pregnancy per se is what I always knew that I wanted. So this was years of consideration that just felt right to me. And so I just kept going with it as long as it felt right to me. And um, and that was part of why I had to have the baby in Florida. I feel like in the, in the scheme of things is because I was alone, like my mom and dad weren't there. And so I didn't have to feel that pressure all the time of going and getting things checked. I mean, how many times did my family tell me to go get something checked or mm. check for this condition or, you know, check for so many things that don't really ever happen. They're so rare. So it's like, was it hard for you to navigate that energy from your family? It did sometimes. Yeah. Like I, I can't, I was in Florida and I came back to California twice in my pregnancy, once in the beginning and once towards the end. And, uh, they were, they tried to be cool about it. Like, but I had to really stand my ground and, um, you know, in the long run, I'm blessed because nobody forced anything on me. Nobody threatened me in any way. I mean, I've heard some horror stories about women's families that didn't support them. So, um, in the long run, it was okay, but they definitely had their concerns. And so being in Florida was very helpful for everybody because I was able to just have my time and space. And when I went into labor, nobody knew about it. I was early, so nobody was expecting me to go into labor. And so um, it turned out to be a really awesome surprise. <laughs> and so how was your pregnancy? Um, it was difficult. Like, honestly, it was the most difficult part of all of it. Like, giving birth and the labor was easier than my whole pregnancy for me. Maybe I'm just wasn't strong enough to handle those discomforts, but I just had the worst nausea Mm. and, uh, I used cannabis for the nausea and that helped a lot, but I still vomited almost every morning Mm. and I could hardly eat anything. And, um, first trimester into the second trimester. Mm. And then after, after that was over, I had, I started with the heartburn and the heartburn was so intense for the rest of that, the rest of my pregnancy that I just, I was just miserable. I just couldn't eat anything. Like it was the most difficult part of it all. And I was so trying to be health conscious. Like it stretched, it stressed me out that I couldn't stomach a lot of the healthy foods that you're supposed to eat. Mm -hmm. And, um, that would stress me out. But in the long run, like the last few weeks of my pregnancy, all I wanted to eat was watermelon. (laughs) And I just think that that was part of the helping me become cleansed and prepared for labor. It's good for the uterus too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I just ate so much watermelon at the end. You, you felt pretty bad the whole time. Yeah, I did. And I was just, I mean, towards the end, I was just kind of ready for her to be born, even Mm -hmm. though it was early. Like I was like telling the baby, I didn't know it was a girl, but I was like, I'm ready when you are like, take your time. I can be strong, but it was definitely a lot of challenges for me, um, with physical discomfort. And how, how did you navigate you know, sitting in this pregnancy that wasn't particularly an easy one, how did you navigate the not knowing, you know, the, did, or, or did that even come up much for you about the what ifs and, you know, not knowing, yeah. not having the mm-hmm. extra kind of routine information about your child? Yeah. You know, I mean, I think those fears are, um, totally legitimate and I think every woman has them no matter how much, prenatal care you get or don't get. But like, I don't know. I let a lot of those fears just kind of dissipate. I mean, there's no magic way of just not having fear, but I just felt everything felt right. It continued to feel like I was on the right path. I I think that I would have known, especially, you know, as a pregnant woman, your intuition is so heightened. I was just 
felt like I would know if something was off or if I needed to get something checked. Like I was just like, you know what? I'm going to know there's mm-hmm. going to be an, an inner knowing that I am, that something's not right. And I just went with that. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Yeah. So when you say she came early, what, what week did she come at? You know, everyone doesn't, isn't really sure. Right. Like people always ask me, are you sure you, cause I didn't, you know, get a um, pregnancy test. Yeah, but you know, doctor. you know, when you conceived, don't you? I do. I do know when I could see you. So technically I was almost 36 weeks when she was born. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I know that for sure because of my calculations, I knew right. when I was ovulating and all that, but, um, That's all you need. she could have been, yeah, she could have been any day a little bit or, you know, earlier, later than 36 weeks, but I think it was around 36 weeks for sure. Well, I wanted to add, I think earlier that I took a hypnobirthing class in my first trimester with Austin. So that was kind of like our tools that we had. And I listened to that, uh, hypnobirthing like CD they give you over and over again, every single night before I went to bed. So mm. I feel like there was a level of self hypnosis that gave me the confidence to trust my body. And, um, I didn't use these tapes or any of the other techniques they teach you during labor, but if nothing <laughs> else, I, I advise women, pregnant women to, to read the hypnobirthing book and get the CDs because I definitely, felt like that self-hypnosis at night was like really, really helpful Mm -hmm. for my um, whole pregnancy and my labor for sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I went into labor, um, I believe it was the September 9th and it was like at midnight. So basically I didn't have any Braxton Hicks or any like really early contractions. Like they pretty much just hit all at once. Um, in the middle of the night. And I was able to sleep through a lot of those contractions and, um, my partner stayed up to time them, but then I was falling asleep. And so he wasn't able to fully time them. Um, and I had to do a lot of hands and knees. That was like my coping mechanism. It was really hard to like Mm -hmm. sit up or anything else. And then when the sun came up, um, Austin got out of bed and he was filling up the, the, um, birthing pool outside. So we had a little out outdoor setup. It was in Florida. So it was hot in September and we had built like a, um, little outdoor studio. So it was like on a platform with a roof and then it had like a screened in mm. porch thing. So I would do yoga out there and it was really like a fun hangout. And that's where we set up my birthing pool. So technically she was born outside Yeah, that sounds awesome. <laughs> in the water and so you, um, you went into labor at night and spent the whole night just kind of getting acquainted with it? Yes. And um, by, so by the morning, he was filling up the pool, and they were so excruciating. I mean, upstairs in, the, in our loft, I was like, I got to get down there in the water. And so I'm like, hurry up. And he's filling up the water. And then when it's full, I'm, I go down there, and I just remember, like, I don't remember anything really. I mean, like ever since I got in the water, I really don't remember a lot of the pain. Like I just remember kind of doing a lot of cat cows and, um, I got out a couple of times to use the bathroom and I couldn't eat anything cause I was nauseous. So I just drank water and coconut water. And, um, I just did a lot of cat cow. I mean, I know there was probably a time towards the end where I was feeling like this is when women ask for pain medicine. <laughs> mm-hmm. So how, how did you feel about going into labor at around 36 weeks? It, was that something that triggered any sort of anxiety or, or nervousness? You know, it didn't. <laughs> I just, I don't know. It didn't. I didn't have that fear. I mean, I knew that, oh, you know what it was? It was, I had known women that gave birth unassisted at 36 weeks. Mm-hmm. Like, 
And then I knew a woman at 37 weeks. And so I did have those women in my mind as reassurance. Like Mm -hmm. if they can do it, I can do it. So yeah, I wasn't, I almost feel like I would be like, sweet, a smaller baby. (laughs) I know. Well, in the end that it was a blessing because my family has very large babies and that was a fear of mine. I thought, Oh my God. And then I was so miserable. I'm like, Oh my God, I got like another three weeks of this. And then if I go late, right. I'm going to have this huge baby. And yeah, I feel like there was going to be more risk at that point. Um, our really only legitimate fear Austin and I was that if I were to tear badly enough that mm-hmm. I needed to go to a hospital. That would be really the only legitimate reason we would feel like we would have to go to a hospital. Mm-hmm. But, um, and you would have early. to tear pretty bad. Yeah. You know, I know which, exactly. which we just don't hear those stories almost ever with autonomous birth. I've never heard of that. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I'm trying to think, I'm sure I've talked to somebody I've talked to so many now, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, I actually, I think it was this one girl who, felt like she actually didn't need to go, but she went anyway. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, wait, what else? I was going to ask you something about the 36 weeks. Oh, also, you know, if you had been with a midwife, you would have transferred, you know, and you would have, I know. And people told me that and I was like, well, then there you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. why you have a free birth because <laughs> babies can be born at any time that they want to be. And it doesn't always have to be an emergency. Well, and I, I, you know, I wish that it was more of a conversation in the midwifery world, you know, cause I, I personally have never met a midwife who gives this option, but what if you were under the care of a midwife and then the plan was if you have to opt out, you know, if you're under 37 or over 42 or breacher, um, you know, prommed at home for a long time or whatever, the many, many, many things that rule you out. What if the option was inclusive of doing it yourself? You know, it's just assumed, Uh it's just assumed that you'll transfer into obstetrical care if you, you know, can't have a midwife, you know, by your side. But what if it was, okay, you know, our recommendation is to transfer into obstetrical care, but the other option is you could just call me and let me know how it goes. Yeah, I know. Right. I mean, as long as everything else checks out, the woman is healthy, the baby's, you know, having fetal movement and all that, that they check for. You know, yeah, I don't see why that's not an option. I would even go a step further and say, even if they don't check out, the woman has the choice, you know, even it doesn't really matter. You know, if, if, if the woman wants to make that choice and evaluate those risks, you know, I come back to this all the time in these episodes that a woman always cares the most about the wellness of her baby. Always, always. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's just, that's nature. That's, that's just how it works. And so, yeah, I think, and a part of my you know, reasoning for not getting prenatal checkups and stuff is like, so yeah, what if I do go and, and the, the, and they find, you know, little some things here and there that could be wrong with me or the baby, right? Like a lot of times those are either wrong or right. Is that helpful? Misguided or they, or they, ch- things change, right? Like breech babies move into the correct position. Placenta so like, previa. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like a lot of those conditions would just have scared me for no reason. Yeah. So I felt like why live in fear of knowing all these things. Every time I go to a checkup, I'd be afraid. And that's just maybe the type of person I am, you know, well, we're I just, just, we're in a era of over information and, you know, no one's really asking because we, you know, we're, we're in the religion of information, you know, like it is yeah. all about that. And so no one's really asking, is this information even worthy? Is it even actually mm-hmm. helping outcomes, you know? And I mean, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think about that a lot too. Yeah. And my pregnancy was like the most deeply spiritual, you know, time of my life. And 
to have it, you know, going through all of these processes, having to go to the doctor and stuff would really interrupt that experience that I had on that level. Yeah. Yeah. I think when you're not, you know, doesn't, it doesn't mean that you can't have a spiritual pregnancy with someone else managing your care. Of course, of course, of course people can and, and do, but I can only imagine having no one else tell you, okay, here's the test this week and here's this and here's that and here's how you should be feeling and here's how, you know, wide your cervix is and, you know, yeah. having having that full autonomy and choosing, not because you don't have access, but actually choosing to do this yourself and look inwards and turn to trust in a way that, you know, our, our culture has pretty much put to bed. <laughs> like, yeah. And this nobody all does just that. Work, yeah. And this just all works for me. It worked for me and my partner. Like I obviously don't think that, you know, all these, all women are going to feel the exact same way. And a lot of women get so much relief and tr- feelings of trust from their doctor and their midwife telling them that they're okay every month, you know, or whatever they, right. You know, Absolutely. So, for me, so for me, it just, I would have, it would have made me nervous and it just, I well, felt a lot better just not that's going. Exactly, that's exactly it is that there are plenty of women who the idea of free birth makes them nervous and they feel so much yeah. more relaxed in a hospital yeah. with an OR and a NICU and a doctor managing their care and continuous monitoring. And they don't want to feel anything, you know, for whatever reason. Oh, yeah. And, and I like, that. that's, that's wonderful that we have that system so readily available for pretty much everyone in this nation, you know, but, but it goes both ways, you know, and, 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 mm-hmm. you know, you pointed out a really interesting topic I think about a lot is you didn't want the midwife, but you know, a, a lot of people who are free birthing would have a midwife if they could afford it or if it was legal in their state. And yes. because they mm-hmm. literally don't have access to it and the hospital is not an option for them, meaning that's not a place where they feel safe, you know, then they're, they're kind of forced to make this choice to free birth, you know, and that, yeah, that's that, that happened too. to a cup of close friend of mine. She, they had to choose a um, free birth because they couldn't afford a midwife, but mm-hmm. that turned out to be a really amazing experience. And so we're often just guided to make these choices one way or another. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, for me, even if I could have afforded a midwife, I would want one because Same I've me. always wanted to have a free birth. That's something I've wanted for many years. And I guess I would be open to it if like, I met some unregulated midwife who I just felt so much, you know, connection with. Like if that just fell into my lap, I mean, I'm completely open to that. I don't, I don't have to have a free birth, but I just don't have that person in my life, you know? So like you said, you know, you're just guided towards what you should do. And if someone just like appeared, that was But then, you know, kind of what you already spoke to, like, really, the reason I would have somebody there is honestly very fear based, you know, because it really would be the tearing thing that that doesn't trip me out Mm -hmm. anymore. But it used to of, well, what do I do? How am I going to get like sewn up if I need that? You know, but pretty much because I've talked to like thousands of free birthers now Mm -hmm. online and and on these podcasts and everything, it's just tearing is extremely rare with free birth. Yeah. You know, on that note about the midwife just showing up, you know, I was at one point early on in my pregnancy looking for a doula. So I thought, I don't know what my thinking was because I knew I wanted a free birth and I knew I wanted to be alone, but something in me was like, well, let's just look for a doula. And I had contacted a couple of doulas, but as soon as I said I wasn't having a midwife present, they wouldn't work with me. Mm-hmm. So eventually I just took that as a 
sign that I should trust my feelings of just doing this alone. Mm -hmm. And that's what worked for me. But, you know, like you said, if I had a wonderful goddess doula that just said, yes, I would love to hold your hand and massage you and do whatever you need me to do. Then I would have said, okay, great. Then I'm having this free birth with this doula friend well, here. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and a certified doula is not technically allowed to attend an unassisted birth, you know? So that's actually, yeah, I learned that. <laughs> yeah. So that's where I started to kind of one of many, many, many reasons I became pretty disenchanted with the um, scope of a doula, which is incredibly limiting um, and not something I ever really agreed to, quite frankly. Um, but one of the things was, you know, that, that unassisted birth is bad and you'd be liable if you were there and don't you dare put yourself on the line to be there. Um, yeah. and you know, that's, that's, I mean, it's fine for whatever anyone's comfortable with, but yeah. I just, I can't get down with that. Like this is about <laughs> women being with women. Yeah. And one of my doula friends was really helpful. Like was, you know, giving me advice along the way, you know, she wasn't working with me at all and she wasn't going to be there, but she was a friend. And so I ended up calling her, um, I had called her when my, when my water broke, which I didn't mention was, um, the day before I went into labor. So when my water broke two days early or before she was born, I did talk to my doula friend and say, what does this mean? Do you think like, and she was like, you're probably going to go into labor the next 20, 48 hours. I was like, no, it's too early. Like, and she was right. And then I called her after Lotus was born because the placenta took a while to come out. And so she was just able to give me advice, you know, and that was really helpful. And I was super grateful for that. So, so your water broke the day before your contractions started. Yes. And did then how long did it take for the waves to kick in? Almost exactly 24 hours later. So my water broke in the middle of the night and And was it clear fluids? Yes. And the flu and the and, and then I was um leaking a little bit throughout the day. So that's how I knew for sure that my water had broke mm -hmm. and then 24 hours later my contractions started and she was born 11 hours later. Oh nice. That's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No. <laughs> so take, take me back to the birth. So now, okay. So we know your waters are open, but clear fluids, you're laboring through the night and primarily cat cow in your cool little outdoor yoga studio mm -hmm. and the sun's coming up. What's happening around that time? Yeah. So it's just me and Austin. And, um, he, I had a little bit of a birth altar set up with some, um, art and some images. And, um, so I was able to do a lot of visualization, um, it was a lot of just waiting around though, you know, I mean, <laughs> a, lot of birth, whole... a lot of birth is boring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't really know what else to say. Yeah. Until, uh, uh, well, you know, then at one point the, um, pushing contraction started. And so that's when I was like, Oh, like I forgot that this was going to happen. And like all my research, <laughs> I was just waiting and waiting. And then, so then pushing contraction started like, Oh man, I'm going to have a lot more of this to happen. And then, um, I kept, you know, feeling for her and feeling for her head. And then when I finally felt like my vagina bulging I was like oh my god it's happening nice. like that's when the panic kicked in mm -hmm. and um Austin at that point got into the pool with me and was sitting in front of me so I was facing him and I was just I had to lock eyes with him mm. because I really didn't know what to do otherwise like there was I think that was the first time in my whole this whole experience that I had legitimate fear like mm -hmm. just that intense like this is real, like a baby's coming out of my body right now. And literally so, right now. Yeah. And so right now. you guys were facing each other and were your legs just open towards him? Yeah. I'm trying to picture yes. it. Is it, I'm picturing exactly. it like how cone heads have sex. <laughs> 
Do you remember that. that in the movie? <laughs> oh, that's right. They face each other. They, they have like their legs open. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> it was exactly that way. So he got like front row seat Beautiful. to the show. And <laughs> um, I don't remember. You know, it's so funny because I watch birth videos all the time now still. And you see, you see how much time it takes for the head to emerge and then later the rest of the body. And for me, it just seemed like it was so fast. Like I literally just was, I didn't, I didn't look down at any point and was able to like feel her top of her head. Like I just, Mm. it just feels like it went so fast. I looked down and half her body was out and I saw her eyes open under the water. And then I think Austin and I both went down and to reach for her. And then we pulled her out. She did have a cord around her neck. So we just took it off and put her on my chest and then she was fine. I think she did a little bit of a cry, but she was mostly really quiet and had her eyes open mm. and Austin jumped out and started recording me. So I have a sweet little video of it. Um, him and I looked at each other and said, Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> this is real. Like it was the most intense experience. And when I think about it, I wish I could just like time travel and mm-hmm. do it all over again. <laughs> and did you have any intuition in the pregnancy that it was a girl? No, you know, I thought it was a boy. I really <laughs> did. I was like dead set on it being a boy. The only person I knew that that thought it was going to be a girl was my dad, and he was totally right. <laughs> I guess everyone has a 50-50 chance, so. Yeah, so no, it was a great surprise. She came out, and and we, it took us a few minutes to be like, oh, wait, let's look at this, the gender. Right. It was a girl, doesn't even and matter. couldn't believe it. Yeah. No, it didn't even matter. I totally didn't even think about it until like five minutes later. Oh my gosh. I've been to, I've been to births where they didn't know where they didn't check for like over an hour and I'll, and I care more than them. And I'm like biting my tongue, yeah. not, you know, of course to give them the space, but I want to be like, what is it? Yeah. It's the best surprise. Like I love it. It was such a good surprise. I couldn't believe it. I still can't believe sometimes that I have a daughter. Like mm. it's so amazing. Mm. So she, so he gets out of the pool, she's born hanging out on your chest. And then mm-hmm. what, what goes down with the placenta? So we were planning the Lotus birth, um, where you keep the, the placenta and cord attached until it falls off naturally. So I had done research about that. And that was originally inspired by the same family, raw food family in mm-hmm. Ecuador that did the free birth. They did the Lotus birth. So that, so I'd already known that was my plan as well. Um, I didn't want to, I knew I was going to have a home birth, so I didn't want to have to deal with cutting the cord or anything like that. And so um, we were planning on, I had bought, um, Robin Lim's book about the placenta and, and Lotus birth. And it's, you know, common practice in, um, Indonesia. So I was just referencing her book a lot. And we hadn't, since Lotus was born early, we hadn't prepared. So we didn't have all of the like dried herbs and, um, Himalayan sea salt for the placenta. And so, um, so we just sat in the water after she was born. I was like expecting the placenta to just like come out on its own, but I eventually had to actually get up and push it with a contraction to get the placenta out. And she had kind of a short cord. So, um, I had to keep the placenta in a bowl pretty close to us. And then, um, we went inside and we went up into our sleeping loft. And once me and the baby and the placenta were, you know, cozy in bed, Austin left to go get the herbs and the spices for the placenta. And then, he brought home a pizza and we ate pizza in bed and nice. <laughs> looked at our new baby. <laughs> and so how long did the placenta take? Um, it took four days for it to fall off. Oh, I'm sorry. I meant, I meant for it to come out of you. Oh, it took two hours, I believe. Okay. Um, time, time was hard to sure. keep track of, but that's what Austin said. So 
Yeah, um, and, like, and talk to me about the lotus birth in a little bit more depth because I haven't talked to anybody yet on here on an episode who's done that all the way through. So I'd love for any listeners who, you know, this is new to them, just go ahead and, and walk them through it. Yeah, so, I mean, the benefit of a lotus birth is the same as just um, delayed cord clamping. You're getting all of the blood and nutrients to the baby. But what resonated with me about not cutting it at all was just what res- the same thing that's resonated with me, the whole idea of free birth is that it's just the most gentle, you know, relaxed way of dealing with the placenta. And so um, I didn't have anywhere to be or anything to do. So I was able to just lay in bed with her and have the placenta. And um, I just kept it in a bowl and I would season it with the uh, dried herbs like lavender and rosemary and sage and um, some flower petals and I would just dress it every day with that. Um, so it would start to dry out and her, but her cord, um, dried out and got stiff within a couple days. So mm-hmm. for, um, a few days, her and I, it was hard to kind of maneuver her. So like, you know, since her cord was short, it was hard to maneuver her sometimes. And that's what I was going to ask. Cause I think, I think that's the most common reason that I hear parents not want to do it is like yeah. that it can seem a little weird to be toting around <laughs> a newborn and how is it wrapped up? Is it in a towel or? Yeah, it's like in a towel in a bowl. And so it's just sitting next to me while I'm nursing her. And so this is the first four days. So I didn't like, I didn't feel like I had to, you know, day one, uh, leave the house or right, right, right. do anything. You're so, not like taking the baby in the placenta <laughs> to the post office. <laughs> no, no, no. So, and so that's why I was like, so this is no big deal. Like right. I'm just in bed with my new baby and we're both adjusting and taking it easy and I'm healing. And so, um, and you have to kind of season it so that it doesn't smell and get gross. I'm yeah, exactly. So yeah. it basically just kind of helps it dry out and, um, and yeah, I mean, it was pretty much a simple process and I just felt like it was easy and it was gentle and, you know, it just kept her and I together and nobody else held her and we didn't have to, you know, go, we had to, this, this sacred space in our loft and Austin was feeding us and <laughs> wait, so taking... your, your bed was up in a loft. Yeah. We were living in a tiny house. It was like, where was the bathroom? Um, did you have to go down the stairs? I did have to go down oh. the stairs. So obviously I would. I know. <laughs> eventually, eventually that's why we had to move with the yeah. baby in the loft. <laughs> totally. But, um, you know, yeah, Austin would let me shower. He would stay upstairs with the baby and let me shower those first few days and, uh, use the bathroom. And, uh, and then, yeah, eventually her cord just fell off and How did the that same thing ha- feel when that happened. Oh, it was intense. Like it was, I didn't realize I would be emotional, but I was like, Oh my God. And then we went down and downstairs and went outside and, it was like everything was new and a first. I was like mm-hmm. getting used to just like living in bed. Mm-hmm. Totally. <laughs> um, did you ever? Yeah, we, did you ever consider eating any part of it? No, that didn't resonate with me either. I mean, it totally makes sense, and I think that's an awesome option. But uh, I didn't feel like I needed it or wanted it. Mm-hmm. Really, I mean, I didn't have any any uh, postpartum depression of any kind. Um, I didn't have excessive bleeding or anything. So I, I knew that the emergency situation, if I had a, a hemorrhage or anything, uh, would right. be the placenta. Just take so, a bloody old bite. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I had that knowledge. And other than that, yeah, I didn't, it didn't resonate with me. I didn't feel necessary to eat the placenta or have it encapsulated or anything like that. And so then what did you do with the placenta after it fell off? Uh, we kept it in the fridge for a while <laughs> and then, uh, eventually 
actually we buried it with a uh, we went and bought a little olive tree because the olive is represents good luck and peace and mm. so we buried it on the farm and even though we don't live on the farm anymore my, it's my father-in-law so I'll always be able to go and visit and yeah, her, that's her olive tree will be there and her olive tree is planted near where she was born so mm-hmm. even if that building gets moved I'll always remember this is the spot you were born totally I felt that was really a spiritual experience for her and for I because she'll always know that that's where she was born and where her placenta was buried and hopefully that means something to her when she's older yeah wouldn't that be cool if we could all return to some tree (laughs) that yeah held our our grandmother as as yeah cultures refer to yeah it's so cool so what was it like for you in the following days or weeks were you able to stay pretty you know cozy at home and keep it pretty chill how how was your vagina how did your breastfeeding go yeah you know I healed up really quickly like I don't believe that I tore it all but if I did it was minor and so I just I had a lot of soreness for the first few days um and then I had a lot of post I had a lot of postpartum bleeding I think for like maybe three weeks um just like normal period type bleeding and then um after that you know I just I felt normal again and um like I was in Florida, so I didn't have any family there other than my father-in-law. So I was able to spend a lot of time alone. And I do think that was valuable. Like as much as I wanted my mom to see my new baby and I'll, you know, share her with the family. Like I did really like value those, um, first few weeks postpartum because my mom did come three weeks after she was born. And, uh, and then Austin's mom came and my dad and, and then, uh, and then we waited until she was five months old to fly back here to California. Um, so yeah, I was able to just heal up and take it easy and just go back to my everyday life, but with mm-hmm. a baby. <laughs> and bre- breastfeeding felt pretty simple. It was. Yeah. You know, she latched on right after she was born. So, um, when she got to my chest, I was like, I think Austin said something. He was like, he was like, put her on your breast or something. Or, and she just latched on right away. And, um, my milk, came in kind of late. I don't remember how long it took, but I remember conversating with my mom, like, um, how long does it take until the milk comes in? And eventually it did. And, um, she didn't have any problems latching. Um, I had a good flow. I was super blessed. I mean, I was breastfed. Luckily, a lot of my family members were breastfed. Like that's just a really, um, normal thing in my family and everybody's like my mom and my aunt had a really easy time breastfeeding all their children. So, that just always, I always knew that I would be able to breastfeed. Like Mm -hmm. I never had doubts about that. Um, but I do know I have a close friend that has had trouble with her children, um, and their latches and all and producing milk and all Mm -hmm. that. So I was just blessed with that ability. I feel it just came easy for me. Yeah. Yeah. What about if you don't mind touching on it, it just popped into my head. What about sex after birth? How did that all go for you? Um, that took a while. (laughs) I mean, even though I healed up pretty well, um, I don't remember exactly when we, when we did it again, the first time postpartum, but, um, my partner was really respectful of me and just waiting until I felt ready. And, um, but I didn't have much libido for, for a long, long time, (laughs) you know? So, um, it was just, the baby was such a priority for us. And, um, so yeah, it wasn't a big deal. I mean, when we first, when we did it for the, again for the first time postpartum, like I had a feeling like, oh, like this feels kind of like it used to, like I must have not 
had too much damage down there. <laughs> like, I was yeah, it's happy not, about It's not that. meant to ruin you. <laughs> yeah. I know, exactly. I was like, I was expecting it to feel really different, though. Like, physically, like, I don't know what I was expecting. But mm-hmm. so when it was felt kind of normal, it's like, oh, good. Like, yeah. everything's the way it should be then. <laughs> totally. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Beautiful. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you th- this is your most likely one and only? That's how we feel, you know. I mean, it's hard to say that indefinitely, but I... What I'm going to wait for is that spirit baby again, because Mm -hmm. I had the communication with Lotus's spirit before she was conceived. And, um, I felt that really strongly. So I'd have to feel that again, um, to decide to have another one, because I definitely feel like it's not just my decision. I felt Mm -hmm. like it was, um, we're dealing with other karmas, you know, when we become parents. So having, I was destined to be in in Lotus's karma. And so if I'm destined to be karmically tied with some other spirit, then that's how another child will happen. Totally. I feel the same way. It's, it's always, I've always felt a little uncomfortable with the question, like, do you want kids? I'm like, well, it's not really that I want them. It's that (laughs) they are coming. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like, I already, they've already told me they've already introduced themselves. So do I want three kids? I mean, I guess <laughs> because that's who has said that they're coming, you know, and if yeah. it had been one or it had been five or like maybe one will drop off or maybe one will, one more will come. I don't know. But yeah, I feel the yeah. exact same way. It's such a, yeah, well, I really recommend my favorite book of all time that I read before I got pregnant was, uh, spirit babies mm-hmm. by Walter McCacken. So cool. And it is still my favorite book to read because it's just so fascinating to hear stories about couples who go to this mm-hmm. author who is a medium and he's able to see the spirit baby and communicate with the spirit babies and answer the questions to these parents that are either trying to conceive and can't or and like the adopted stories. Yeah, yeah just how so cool. yeah how spirit babies are destined to be with the parents that they're destined to be with. So. Some of it was a little out there for me, but a lot of it, I was like, yeah, that totally makes sense. But that's yeah. <laughs> I have always wanted to do a session with him. I don't think he's alive anymore, though. Oh, really? Dang, because that would be awesome. <laughs> well, he did live in, like, Berkeley. I feel like I looked him up. I don't know. I could be wrong. Yeah, <laughs> so cool. Yeah, it's really, yeah. It's yeah just I love a, that it's book. Just, you know, it's really creative, and it really opens up possibilities around you know, being conscious and being open to your children and, you know, not thinking about it so linearly or in this very like, oops, I'm pregnant. I guess I'm going to have a baby now, you know, but actually being like, and even if it is like that, that's okay. You know, and you can still, even if you're like, oh, whoops, I'm pregnant. You can still connect to that spirit. Of course, you know, Oh yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Things are happening way beyond our comprehension at all times. Yeah. And so many women that get pregnant without trying or get pregnant when they're young or whatever, they always say after they become mothers that they saved my life or, you know, this was the best thing that could have ever happened to me, even if they're single moms. And so on some level, that's where the communication with the spirit is happening. It's the spirit is saying, I'm going to come to you and offer you these, this healing or this medicine that you need by being a mother. Mm-hmm. Or of course, lots of women say, no, thank you. And choose to terminate the pregnancy and that's totally great too oh yeah that's totally part of the the options Mm -hmm. as well (laughs) well one of the cool parts about the spirit babies book 
that that is in kind of birth mythology is that if a woman loses a baby, a pregnancy, terminates pregnancy, whatever, then that spirit baby gets to hop back in front of the line um, for that woman. Or if that woman goes on to not choose to have another pregnancy and birth, that the baby will hop to somebody else close to her in her family or in her community so that it can stay rolling around with that with that woman. Yeah. I just thought that was such a cool idea. Yeah, I, w- I thought that whole book was just fascinating. I love it. Me too. Well, <laughs> any, anything else you want to speak on about your, your choices or your pregnancy or your birth or postpartum? Um, let's see. I have notes here. <laughs> yeah, take your time. But yeah, I think I pretty much went over it all. Um, I did a lot of research, you know, when I was pregnant. I, I read so many books. I was at the library constantly. Like, I just couldn't get enough knowledge about birth and pregnancy. And my family would ask me, like, do you want to be a birth worker? Like, are you just interested, so interested in birth that you want to be a doula or a midwife? And like, not really. I was just, you know, interested in it for my own sake and mm-hmm. my own empowerment to birth my baby my own way. And so I really did want to know how it all worked. So I, you know, watched a lot of birth videos. And uh, and so I had a lot of uh, positive mental images that helped me um, to envision the birth that I wanted. And I believe I had that birth that I envisioned. Mm -hmm. Sounds like it. And I mean, even if you're not some official doula or midwife or whatever, like you are the keeper of birth, you know, you are as a woman who has had a spiritual experience in birth and who has educated herself, you therefore will educate and support, you know, and share that wisdom with other women. And like, that's really what this is about. You know, you don't need to like exchange money for it. Like you, I'm sure have helped support and, and, you know, wake up plenty of women around you because of your own choices and education. Yeah. Somebody had inspired me to have a free birth. And if I inspire somebody else to have a free birth and just, I think that it's so important what you're doing and that people are talking about it. Cause when I decided to have a free birth, there was only, I think two women that I knew of that had had free births. And one of them I was able to talk to in person. And, but since then I've known so many other people that made this decision and pregnant women today that are making that decision and Mm -hmm. just have it as an option. There's no right, right way to have a baby, but just to have more and more options is what's going to heal the planet. Yep. And less trauma in birth. Yes, exactly. Beautiful. Well, you're such a cool example of, you know, somebody that follows their intuition and has an easy time getting pregnant and doesn't sound like your pregnancy was super awesome, but you did have a relatively simple, straightforward birth and your body took care of you. And, you know, it's just so, it's so beautiful. You had an easy postpartum and, you know, this really can be, this can be, you know, and is with the free birthing world, a pretty common story. So it's something that I'm always excited to get out there. Yes. Yes. Thank you for the opportunity to share. Thank you. Absolutely. All right, girlfriend, take care. Yeah, you too. Talk to you soon. That's it for today, everyone. Join us next week for another episode of the Free Birth Podcast. Thanks for joining us. And remember, your body, your choice. Lots of love.